there's so much hard work we need to do just to kind of keep on plowing through the to-do list of digital, like making more services better, doing that work in better ways, fixing the data that sits underneath it. We sometimes talk about fixing the plumbing so it's easier to us to uh, sort of... Uh, uh, Lego brick style, of course, it's, if only it was easy as that, to kind of mix and match different patterns of design and technology. And that's essentially the plan for government for the next few years, and this is all set out. But what I wanted to do is be a bit something a bit further than that and to look ahead. Because I think there's a sense for some of us that it's not just about a long, hard slog uh, through the next ever more digital services that need to be sorted out. Of course, that's part of it, always will be. But there's actually some more exciting things about, you know, how we, uh, you know, how do we take the, the, uh, the business models of the internet era, about how we relate to each other, I guess, you know, in a social media way, more horizontally than vertically, you could say. Things like about using platform approaches to think about the accessibility of government data and services to a wider community if we're interested in economic growth and, and other elements. very warm welcome to the Understanding Users podcast, brought to you by Researchable UX. It's great to have you with me. I'm your host, Mike Green. I'm a freelance user research lead and digital consultant based in the UK. Over the coming weeks, I'm going to be chatting to various digital experts who I've had the pleasure of working with in recent years. They're from various disciplines, including user research, UX design, development, and product management. And they'll even be a digital business owner or two. I'll be talking to them about how they came to be in their current roles, what they've learned along the way, and what advice they may have for others getting into the field. These are intended to be relaxed, informal chats with professionals who are keen to share their experiences. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome to the second of this three-part mini-series, where I'm talking with the three inspiring keynote speakers at the in-person Service Design in Government conference held in Edinburgh in Scotland in September 2022. I asked them to share their reflections on the conference and what they wanted attendees to take from their own keynote addresses. My three guests are Rebecca Kemp, Design Director at Future Foundry, and she speaks about her session entitled User-Centred Design in Public Services, What Now and What Next? Shapira Papain, CEO of Democracy Club, who shares her thoughts on the importance of inclusive design in public services in a keynote entitled Inclusive design, luxury or must-have. And finally, Paul Maltby, Chief Digital Officer at the, at the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities, who you heard at the beginning of this episode, reflecting on his keynote entitled Towards the Next Decade of Digital Public Service Reform. My thanks to all my guests and to Sarah Hill for editing this episode. Coming soon is the third and final part of this miniseries where I'll be talking with attendees and other speakers at the event to get their insights and diverse reflections. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So if you could just begin by introducing yourself and your role, please. Hi, I'm Rebecca Kemp, and I'm Design Director at Future Foundry. And uh, is this your first time at uh, SD in Gov? It's not my first time at Service Design in Government. I've participated a few times, but it is my first time back at a really big event after being locked down for COVID, and I'm really enjoying it. That's great to hear. This is the second day of the conference, and I understand yesterday you were the keynote speaker. So I'd be interested to know a little bit more about your talk, what it was about, and you know what were the sort of key takeaways you hope the audience would take from it. So I was invited, uh, very fortunately, to do the opening keynote for the conference, which was a real honour. And I was presented with the question, user-centred design in public service, what now and what next? 
which is quite a big question um, and one that I will be honest, as I told the conference participants, I struggled to answer despite my best efforts. And in doing so, what I learned was that actually that's not a question I can answer on my own. It's actually a question for all of us who are in the conference and in fact all of us who are involved in user-centred design in public services to work out together. So what we did was I shared my own thoughts about where we currently were, which is that we are overwhelmed by need, we have way more scope than we have in the past, we've learned loads from our experiences in COVID and we've got more skills ourselves and from new people joining the area. But on the other hand, we are more tired, or at least I'm more tired. And I also shared my own thoughts about what's next for us. And I talked about how I hope for more user-centered design in public service because I think it's great and I think it really improves services. I talked about how I think we need to focus more on the viability side of our services and our design work. So the numbers, the commercials, what the benefits are. And I talked about my hope for design justice for an increased increased agency for service users and participants um, and for more questioning of the power relationships involved in user-centered design and public services. So I offered those thoughts as a start of a tent for the audience and then together as a group we discussed those questions and starting on what I talked about built a broader understanding together. Wow, fantastic. That covers a lot of ground. In terms of the key takeaways for the audience, if there was one thing you wanted a participant to take away from it, what would it be? The one thing that I wanted participants to take away was a sense of their own agency and the possibility, because really we as a community get to decide what's next for user-centred design in public services, and really that's what the whole conference, the whole of service design in government is exploring. Fantastic. And thinking more broadly about SD and Gov in totality, what are your reflections on what you've seen so far and, and, and you know, any talks that have particularly piqued your interest, and, and what are you looking forward to over the next day or so? Well, I've just come from... The the second day's keynote, which was by Shapira Papain. Shapira is the CEO of Democracy Club, an organisation that I know well and really admire, um, and also set up People Street, an um, inclusive design uh, and research consultancy. And Shabira was talking about the importance of design justice, of inclusive design, and in valuing communities, service users, and their lived experience. And I thought it was a fantastic way to start the second day of the conference and I've loved seeing conversation around inclusion and design justice weaved in throughout the conference. So in your view, what are the biggest challenges facing public sector digital transformation kind of in the short term and in the medium term? I think there's a number of challenges facing digital transformation and design in public services. One is just the overwhelming need that we have. Of course, I've got my perspective living in the UK, but what's great around about this conference is that we have colleagues from all over the world coming to join us. And with the COVID-19 pandemic, the ongoing impacts it has, the instability we're experiencing in the world, and also the economic challenges that we're facing, I think the scale of need is the biggest challenge that we have. It's also the, the biggest opportunity that we have to do more of this really important work. What this means for us as individuals, I think, is that we need to consider our resilience, our well-being, and how we can keep going and pace ourselves as we trudge through this important work in a really challenging context. 
So in your own role, Rebecca, kind of what inspires you, what excites you most, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Well, my current role is design director at Future Foundry. We are an innovation uh, engine and we help the world's leading organisations from all sectors to innovate in a way that is easier, that is faster, that reduces risk um, and that reduces their time to market. So I spend a lot of time in the early stages of innovation and the thing that really excites me there, which honestly is a, a bit of a thread throughout my career is about really understanding where people are what they need and how we can meet those needs and bringing that to life together with organizational strategy and objectives so for me it's about how we how we bring together and align what people really need and how we can solve those problems and on the flip side of that what challenges you or frustrates you either in your own work or more broadly in the discipline I'm going to give a potentially slightly controversial take here and one of the things that I do find a little frustrating is our chat about senior leaders who don't understand design or who don't get the value of what we do and on the one hand I agree that is super frustrating especially when you can see how you can improve a service or a product and just how much better it can be how much impact it can have but what I also think which I'm, I'm voicing now is well come on user-centered design professionals go and get those jobs for yourself go and go and become the senior leader and solve the problem of not understanding by taking up that position yourself that's I know it's not for everyone it's not something everyone can do not something everyone wants to do but when I look back at some of the roles I've done the most impact I've been able to have has been creating an environment for really good user-centered design to happen enabling other people to do the work and I think we sometimes end up blocked by our reliance on senior people when what from outside the profession when what we could do is try and get those roles ourselves. Fantastic. And final question, Rebecca, how in your view can digital teams ensure they're having the maximum impact on the users that they're designing for? For me, the key to make sure that digital teams are having the most impact on their users is that relentless focus on user needs and really measuring the impact, finding out what people need and how you measure improvements, whether they're big improvements or small improvements, and really staying focused on the numbers and on progress. That's how I think we can have the most impact, we can stay focused and also we can demonstrate our impact to the people that matter. So I'm chatting now with Shabira Papain. Hi, Shabira, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about what your role is and what you do day to day. Well, I have several hats. Some I get paid for, some I don't. So I corral three teenage kids. That's the unpaid job. But I'm also CEO of Democracy Club and I also founded a startup called People Street to support service designers to be able to access communities in fast-paced research environments. And is this your first time at SD and Girl? It is my first time and what an amazing first time to be at and to be asked to do the keynote. It's pretty special. So tell me more about that because I was at the keynote this morning and you had a big turnout and uh, how did you feel yeah. it went and kind of what did you, what were the key takeaways you wanted people yeah, to take from I it? I feel like I should ask you how it went. I wanted them to have a bit of a fire in their belly, just reignite something that's there yeah. um, so that they can think about how to build in equity thinking. Right. inclusion thinking as business as usual so that was wanted a bit of a like itchy or hit something 
uh, even to provoke people thinking I disagree with you. Uh, wanted that, but importantly, I didn't want it to be just some lofty ideas and some theoretical principles and more policies. I wanted it to be really practical and so to give people um, some just pragmatic ways that they can build it into business as usual. So sharing practice was really important. So if there was one takeaway that you wanted every attendee to take with them, what would it be? That it's possible. Right. That it's possible to do in any kind of organisation. Out of interest, how does kind of an attending an event and giving a talk in person, as opposed to obviously the last couple of years, we've all been remote, how's that changed things for you? Oh, it was really lovely because I really feed off, like, you know, we're humans and relational, and so I really feed off, like, whether people are nodding or shaking their head. And it's really hard on the on the big conferences that are done online because you can't actually see everyone. Most right. people have their cameras off. Yep. So you're talking to a bunch of initials, yeah, and especially when it's on Teams or something. Yeah, um, I ran a uh, a roundtable for NHS like May 2020, and there were over 300 people on this, and all I could see were like these initials. It was right. so hard. Like you don't know. Like it. Like do I need to explain that? Do I? You know, you were yeah. there. You saw. Yeah. I'm like, are you with me? Do I need to explain this? Do, yes. Where do we go? Yeah, Can yeah, we yeah, move yeah. to the next bit? Uh, so just that human interaction, I just really missed. Yeah. I really enjoyed today. And thinking more broadly, how do you see the future of, of service design and particularly digital service design kind of evolving across the public sector? First of all, I got invited to this, right? And so that tells me something because yeah. five years ago I wouldn't have got invited yeah. to a conference like this, yeah. let alone be the keynote yeah. speaker. Um, so that tells me something about the direction that the service design community and user researchers are wanting to go on. Where the services catch up, services going to have to catch up to them, to the people they're employed. So I'm really hopeful for the future of service design that we are going to have practitioners making decisions that are actively, not passively, actively tackling inequalities that are actively built for the communities we serve, not just for some parts of the community, those of us who can navigate it, but really for the ones that we perpetually leave behind and then wonder why there's these gaps, why there's this cost on public services. So we start to be a bit more clever, you know, about the way we design our services, the way we budget for those services up front. So what's the biggest challenge would you say facing digital transformation in the public sector? You've talked about kind of inequality and equity. Uh, The lack of uh, collaboration across uh, multi-disciplines. So I think uh, we get caught up in, oh no, 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 I know because I'm a service designer. Oh no, no, I know because I'm the product owner. No, no, I know because I'm the SLT. Right. Oh no, I know because I'm policy and uh, we're not working together. We don't create teams that are multidisciplinary. We expect our teams to collaborate. We don't define what that collaboration is, but we don't build these multidisciplinary teams. Uh, and everywhere I go and I see, and it doesn't matter what, you know, best intentions, uh, we erode the potential of digital transformation programs because we do things to then our teams and to our staff and therefore you do it to, you know, you do things to the community. If you're doing things to your team and yeah. you're like imposing and rolling out this whole program and you're not listening, you're going to be doing that to the communities you serve. So, you know, you need to overcome that, the culture within the organisation. You need to do it in the organisation, you need to be able to do it out in the world. 
what excites you about what you do? Well, because you can see impact. Yeah. You can see yeah, it in front yeah. of your eyes, right? Yeah. Like it's immediate. Uh, people, people really excite me. Like so many wonderful people. Um, for the hour after the tour, I was just talking to people that were coming up and said they were making time to talk about it. That really excites me because that means there's all these little people out in the world and we're all going yeah, in, you know, yeah. in our little corners of the world. Yeah. We're being the change that we want to see in the world. So that's really exciting. Just the potential to be part of the solution yeah. and not the problem is pretty cool, isn't it? To be able to get up every day and do a job that you love and go, I have the best job yeah. because you get yeah. that as a reward. I mean, Fantastic. And last question, how in your view can digital teams ensure they're having maximum impact on the users of the services that they're building? There's not just one, but what I would say is you need to work at multiple levels. Right. So you can't just work at your level, you need to work at the different levels. Right. Um, and you need to have the multiple perspectives. Right. And so that means in your teams, but also in the people that you're reaching out to. I talked a lot about how to do user research, making sure you're getting that 20%. Right. But it has to be multi-level. So if you're a national organization, you need to work nationally, regionally, local. Right. If you're local, you need to be thinking about regionally and national. If you're regional, you need to think local and national. And you need to be able to work. It doesn't, right. uh, doesn't matter your size. You need to be able to look at the different layers and you need multiple perspectives and that's different disciplines as well as underrepresented voices whoever that is the scope of work that you're working on so i'm talking now to paul maltby who was the third keynote speaker at sd and gov um hi paul nice to have you on the show great to see you thanks for inviting me to talk if you could tell us first a little bit about yourself and your role paul uh, so I'm the Chief Digital Officer at the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities, uh, so the UK Government Department. It's broadly a big policy department, so it's interesting how uh, being the digital lead in that organisation is somewhat different from those uh, departments where they uh, are running transactional services to citizens. Um, but my job encompasses everything from you know, keeping the digital lights on and the cyber security and the laptops and you know, turning the printers on and off uh, through to the running uh, effective services, uh, often B2B type services, but also helping uh, uh, policy colleagues think through the opportunities of the modern digital internet era in the work that they do too. Fantastic. And you gave a very thought-provoking and fascinating and, and wide-ranging keynote this morning. Could you just kind of recap a little bit about what you were talking about and what the key takeaways were you hope for people to take from your talk? So what I wanted to do was give a bit of a reflection of where we've come from and where we're going, uh, not just as a service design community, but as a broader digital community in and around government. So starting with a little bit of the history of where we've come from has been one that has been targeted largely uh, in the digital reforms around those transactional services. But in a way now, you know, big changes as uh, government digital service came into being in a revolutionary way back in 2011. And a few sort of bumps along the road really, but now we have a, a central team in government digital service, but also the chief data and digital office in the cabinet office supporting those of us trying to make change in government. There's so much hard work we need to do just to kind of keep on plowing through the to-do list of digital, like making more services better, doing that work in better ways, fixing the data that sits underneath it. We sometimes talk about fixing the plumbing, so it's easier to us to uh, sort of... Uh, uh, Lego brick style, of course, if only it was easy as that, to kind of mix and match different patterns of design and technology. And that's essentially the plan for government for the next few years, and this is all set out. But what I wanted to do is be a bit something a bit further than that and to look ahead, because I think there's a sense for some of us that it's not just about a long, hard slog uh, through 
the next ever more digital services that need to be sorted out. Of course, that's part of it, always will be. But there's actually some more exciting things about, you know, how we, uh, you know, how do we take the, the, uh, the business models of the internet era about how we relate to each other, I guess, you know, in a social media way, more horizontally than vertically, you could say. Things like about using platform approaches to think about the accessibility of government data and services to a wider community if we're interested in economic growth and, and other elements that, uh, you know, data science and uh, its role. But for me, we see signs of that all around government and not always at the forefront of how we talk about it, but we see examples of it in our own department, in local government and around other parts of central government. But I really want to kind of bring that to the fore and say, actually, there's a, we need to keep our levels of ambition high and keep rolling towards this change because the future never waits for us and it keeps changing at pace and it's our job to keep up with it. And there's a lot of great stuff there to ponder. If you were to distill all of that into kind of one key takeaway for your audience, I'm going to put you on the spot here, what would it be? <laughs> Understand that digital services aren't just about making transactional services for citizens better and more efficient. It is, it is absolutely that, but it's more than that. It's about the wider business of government, the wider business of the state, and the things that we know as a digital community, they've got value to their extra tools in the toolkit, if you like, for uh, policymakers and others to affect change at a wider and, uh, if you like, higher level than just uh, fixing the services of government. And what inspires you and excites you about what you do and about the kind of world that you work in? I started my career in the strategic policy world. So I worked in uh, Blair's strategy unit, I was director strategy at the Home Office for a while before I switched my career probably halfway through I would say in government to um, when I had my first engineering team saw the light uh, worked with uh, data.gov.uk and it's like since then I've been involved in the digital and data world and the, one of the things that really inspires me is actually that the space between the technology digital design worlds and the broader world of government and the uh, stewardship over the wider economy and public policy and I see examples of that. So services, service design in government is a, is a great example for me because service designers, I think, very frequently are those that are interlocutors, if you like, to more traditional policy colleagues and those at a more technical level who are uh, perhaps building services. The design, as someone said, most of government, most of the time is service design, you know, and there's, there's some truth to that. I'm not sure if it's quite true, but Matt Agger said back in the day, there's, there's an element to that. And I think Coming and talking at uh, SD uh, in Gov is, for me, really exciting opportunity to do that, but also, of course, to come and meet all the folks that are doing that and re restock on our energy levels after the last couple of years. Absolutely. And what would you say is the single biggest challenge that a chief digital officer like you sort of typically faces in their role within, within public sector? I've got a long list, right? Uh, but to keep it uh, short and sweet for you, well, I think it's coming back to that role of actually there are... There's a stubborn analog nature of some bits of government. And I find one of the most frustrating things, I suppose, is sometimes having to constantly explain the, the basics of modern digital world and the opportunities that it brings and the constraints that it provides. Uh, we don't, sometimes I think it's seen as magic what we do, and it's not magic, it's lots of hard work. And, you know, we stand on the shoulders of those that came before us and did the, the, did the work that we can borrow, borrow and reuse. So that, that sense of what I wish was that the wider public service community in central government, local government elsewhere, I wish that the knowledge that was in the heads of folks here at, at SD and Gov could be magically transmitted into the wider civil service world. And I think that would have 
that would move us on a generation. So it's a slightly ethereal challenge, perhaps. I've got lots of other more practical ones, but let's not go into those. And uh, final question, how, in your view, can digital teams, uh, service teams, product teams, ensure they're having the maximum impact on the, the users of those services that they're designing and building for? It's doing, you know, the thing is, what's nice is talking a little bit today about where we've, where we've come from as a, as a community, as, as service designers and, and, and digital folk in government. There was a time not that long ago when being put in charge of a big technology program or digital program was a bit of a kiss of a death on the old career. And it was a bit of like, this is likely to go wrong. The fabulous thing is, routinely these days, we know how to do this. And we can keep improving this acres of uh, value and efficiency and space and improvements that we've got to make. Of course there is. But I would say that the thing that gives, uh, that I would say, you know, in answer to your question, is that that routine ability to know how to do these services, to keep practicing our craft, sharing the ways in which we work, and just keep demonstrating that practical improvement you know, we in government, many bits of government work in the world of, you know, submissions and PowerPoint presentations and spreadsheets. And, and often in our world, you know, we build things and we can show what those things look like. And that's, the, that's our secret source that uh, sometimes when we don't always feel like the world understands what it is that we've got to offer. The ability to be able to build a thing, build it quickly, build it well, make a difference for people is a universal language uh, in the government and of course in the political uh, realm too. And it's that that gives me faith that we're on the right track. Thanks for listening to the Understanding Users podcast and special thanks to my guests for this episode, Rebecca Kemp, Shabira Papain and Paul Maltby. If you enjoyed what you heard, do please like or comment wherever you're listening and feel free to share this episode more widely. And feel free, of course, to drop me a line with any feedback via LinkedIn or my website, researchable.uk. Coming soon is the third and final part of this mini-series, where I'll be talking with attendees and speakers at this year's Service Design and Government event to get their reflections. In the meantime, thanks to all my guests and to Sarah Hill for editing this episode. Stay safe and stay user-centred.